good Sunday together, huh? Hasn't it been already uh, just a fun and enjoyable Sunday to be together? Um, we're going to start a new sermon series today, and I know the pressure is on because I got the kids with me now. So to keep their attention, I have to be short and concise and interesting. So I'm going to do the best I can uh, throughout the summer. We're going to talk through the book of Ephesians. You can open up your Bibles, or it's in the bulletin. It will be on the screen as well. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. Um, really, this sermon series, the book of Ephesians, is a, it's Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, is primarily about the church as a new community in Christ, as a Jesus-centered community, which is our vision as a church, to become a Jesus-centered community. So this series is about building Jesus-centered community, building Jesus-centered community. And throughout the summer, you're going to hear from different voices, not just me, uh, preaching through the book of Ephesians. Uh, He's writing to the church in Ephesus. Uh, Last week, if those who were here, we looked at Acts chapter 20, talking about Paul talking to the Ephesian elders, the elders, the leaders in the church of Ephesus. Well, now we're going to look more at his word to the entire church there in Ephesus. Um, It's interesting to know how the gospel came to Ephesus. Uh, So basically, Paul the apostle was a missionary. He went to this Greek city, and there he uh, met with a group of people who believed in John the Baptist. Uh, or basically were followers of John the Baptist. They hadn't yet come to faith in Jesus. So he told them, he said, no, John is just the beginning. He just pointed you to Jesus. And a group of them, about 12, it says, came to faith in Christ. That's the first beginnings of a church. And then Paul would meet with the synagogue, he would, as it was his custom. He would preach about Jesus as the Messiah. And some more came to faith, eventually got kicked out of the synagogue, started meeting at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. So, uh, I don't know if Tyrannus would be the guy you'd want lecturing you. It sounds like a tyrant. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, they started meeting there. Church began to grow. Miracles were happening. People were getting healed. Um, and the name of Jesus was starting to spread. But here's what really got it to, to spread quickly in the city of Ephesus. There were these seven guys. They were Jewish itinerant exorcists. All right? So, I guess there were people who traveled around and their job or their ministry was to try to cast out demons. So that was what they did. And they end up, this is uh, Acts, uh, say, Acts 19, um, they end up meeting with a, uh, a person who is possessed by a demon. And uh, they say to this man who is, who is possessed, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now they're not believers, but they've heard this power in this name. In the name of Jesus who Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And the man who's possessed looks right at him and says, Jesus I know. Of course, he's the Lord of the universe. Paul I'm acquainted with, but who are you? And then the man takes on all seven of them, and they leave, they run out of the house naked and bleeding. All right, that's what happens. So I don't know a whole lot about fighting. Uh, you know, my, my friend Kevin's a big UFC guy. They got the big fight with McGregor and um, Mayweather coming up here. If one of them ends the fight naked, he lost. I think that's fair to say, right? This one guy overpowers these seven guys who run out of there. But that actually starts to spread the word that whoever this Jesus is that Paul is preaching is someone we better pay attention to. We better listen to. We better learn more about. And that is what begins to spread the gospel there in Ephesus until you have a pretty substantial church that Paul writes a letter to. And we're going to look at just the beginning where he lists out the blessings of the gospel. He reminds them of the blessings of the gospel and calls them to praise the Lord, to be grateful for what God has done. Look with me at chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, 1 through 14. 
We read this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. God has blessed us immensely in Christ and is worthy of praise. Look with me, there's an outline in your bulletin for any visitors, or anyone that wants to take notes perhaps, or just kind of see where we're going. Uh, feel free, we're going to look at verses 1 to 2. Praise God for your local church in or near your city. Uh, praise God for the numerous blessings of the gospel, 3 to 10. And then 4 to, 11 to 14, praise God for our spiritual inheritance in particular. So first, praise God for your local church in or near your area. Paul begins his letter by identifying himself. That was the typical way you would write a letter. Uh, you write Paul, or you identify yourself from the beginning. And he describes himself as an apostle of Christ. An apostle is a spiritual leader. They were unique to the first century. I don't believe there are any apostles around today. Uh, they were uniquely uh, equipped to lead the church in its earliest days. Most of them walked with Jesus, knew Jesus personally. He says, an apostle by the will of God. So it's not just Paul woke up one day and said, I would like to be an apostle. God chose him to be an apostle to help lead the church, and that's what he did. He says he's writing to the saints. Now, uh, particularly here in New England, when we hear saints, we may automatically think of this elite group of Christians throughout church history. In the New Testament, the word saints is never used that way. Not even once. Saints always means all Christians. Uh, literally, it just means holy ones. And it always refers to all Christians. All Christians are saints, not holy because they've reached a certain level of moral uh, perfection, but rather because God has made them holy through faith in His Son. In fact, friends, I think it would be helpful for us to begin to redeem that word today. Uh, a saint is anyone who knows the Lord Jesus. We're saints in Him. Uh, he writes to them who are in Ephesus. We talked a little bit about that. Uh, a Greek city, pretty well-known, important Greek city in the ancient world. And he describes them as those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Faithful in Christ. That they are a true church. True, a group of true believers in Christ. He wishes them grace and peace. Two very important words. Those are loaded. 
um, with meaning. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. Peace is what we have with God. Peace with God through Christ and through, uh, through the Father and through Jesus. The amazing thing is there is a church in the city of Ephesus that was not there before. Think about that. Before this, Ephesus was filled with nothing but pagan religions. Not a single person had any real, true, deep understanding of the one living God. In fact, it was the center of Artemis worship. Artemis was a, a goddess um, that many of the ancient Greeks worshipped. They had a huge temple towards Artemis uh, in the ancient world. In fact, the temple was so impressive that they built there, it was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. That's how serious they took their pagan religions. In fact, as the gospel begins to spread there in Ephesus, it almost knocks the silversmith business out of business. <laughs> because nobody's buying idols anymore. Nobody's buying any of these you know, models of the temple. These little, they were known for these little uh, silver models of the temple because now nobody's interested in all this pagan religion. Friends, there was a day and time in which there was no church in the entire Gentile world. Think about that. There was no church in the entirety of North America. <laughs> there was a time in which there was no church here in Haverhill. There was no First Baptist Church until God did a miraculous work and created a church out of nothing. What an amazing thing. That's the power of the gospel, that God creates something out of nothing by His Miraculous work. That's what happened in Ephesus. That's what happened right here in Haverhill. That's why we exist here right now at First Baptist Church. So first, let's just take a minute. Just praise God for our church. <laughs> Be grateful for our church. Do you have any criticisms of our church? I'm sure you do. Do we have our issues? Do we have our problems? Of course we do. Every church has their issues. But let's just be grateful for the fact that God has worked a miracle. And there is a church here in Havel right here, right now, by His work. Our church is a, a spiritual family. That you're, you're not alone out there, just floating by yourself. That you have a, a spiritual family filled with diverse gifts that come together to worship and to praise the Lord. That people are volunteering, using their unique gifts to help build up and construct and build, edify the body of Christ and to help reach out to our neighbors. You know, the, the Adoniram Judson who came out of this area, he, went to, he was one of the first missionaries to Burma. He spent the first three to four years without any single convert. Can you imagine that? Him and his wife, that's it were the only Christians in the entire country of Burma doing their best to try to reach out until eventually people started to come to faith in Christ and a church began there in Burma and he had fellow believers together to worship with. He had to go three to four years without a church family being spiritually alone. I'm grateful for the fact that we have a church. And not just our church, but as I've often said, multiple good Bible churches. I, I'm really amazed and really encouraged at the number of faithful Bible-believing, gospel-centered churches right here in the city of Haverhill. And a lot of them have vastly different theological positions on, on non-essential issues. And uh, we still come together. We still are united in this very same gospel. Uh, I've been having a conversation about prophecy and tongues with a, another pastor 
here. And I, you know, he was talking about how during his service, somebody got up and prophesied and I said, what is that like? How do you even work that out? And how does that, how does that become part of your service? And just vastly different um, t- styles of, of, of worship, but nevertheless, the same gospel, the same Jesus, a faithful group of believers who meet together. And friends, I would say, let's pray. Let's be grateful for our church. Let's be grateful for the fact that God is raising up a number of other churches right here in our area that preach the gospel faithfully. And let's pray for the areas of our world where there are no churches, where there are no Bible-believing churches. Uh, I, I, I know of some in Western Nepal is a, a church planter that I, I, I'm, I'm connected with in my time there. His name is Hira. And uh, he is trying to reach people in West Nepal who've never heard the gospel. And there's not even a church, not a single church yet. You have maybe a few believers now who are starting uh, to uh, be discipled and trying to start churches. Can you imagine that? There's not even a single church. If you're a believer, you're the only one in that whole area. And even, friends, here in our own country, let's think about planting churches and supporting new churches where there aren't any good, solid Bible-believing churches. Praise God for your local church in or near your city. And then, praise God for the numerous blessings of the gospel. Verses 3 through 10. And he just goes on here. He just, just blesses God for all of the blessings of the gospel in 3 to 10. And he goes on with this litany of praise from all of these blessings that just flow from what Christ has done. Just to list some. That he chose us before the foundation of the world. That we are holy as we said, as saints, that we are blameless in His sight through what Christ has done. That He predestined us. We'll talk a little bit more about that. That He adopts us as His own sons and daughters. That He has redeemed us from destruction, from death, from judgment. That He forgives us for our sins. Think about it, friends. That He makes His mystery the mystery of His will known to us. And we're going to learn later on in Ephesians what the mystery of His will is. It is that Jews and Gentiles are together heirs of uh, the promise of the gospel. That He will, as it says in the end, unite all things in Christ. What's He talking about there? That eventually, our world right now, friends, is in many ways in rebellion, in treason against our Creator. But in the end, there will be a restoration where all will be at peace. Where all will be under the Lord. That in the end, all will be united in Christ. But notice, friends, where these blessings come from. He says it again and again, that they all come from Christ. He says these blessings come in Him. In Him, He's chosen us. In Him, He's loved us. Or in Christ, or at one point, in the Beloved. I love that description of Jesus. Jesus is the Beloved. He's the one loved by the Father. And all the blessings that come to us, come to us in Him. He's the source of all the blessings of the Gospel that come to us. Friends, God has worked out His plan of salvation for us. And they all come from Christ. You know, this idea of predestination, I know it causes a lot of controversy. And if we had a discussion, some people may have some vast disagreements on it. Um, people say that sounds so harsh that God has, has predestined everything to be as it is. That some are predestined, chosen before the foundation of the world to be His. And some say, well, why didn't He choose everybody and, and all that, friends? But understand that in the Scriptures, in the Scriptures, this idea of God choosing and predestining some to belong to Him is never used as a, as a weapon against non-Christians. It's never used as a, a statement of the unbeliever to tear them down. It's used as an encouragement to those who belong to Christ. It's, it should draw our hearts to praise. That's the idea behind it. If you're a believer, if you have faith in Christ, friends, you're, it wasn't by a chance. <laughs> it wasn't an accident. 
it wasn't happenstance that you just happened to maybe come to faith in Jesus because you were born in the right place and in the right place at the right time. God had planned this before the foundation of the world. He chose you. If we go with modern science, they say that the world itself is 4.5 billion years old. Right? I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. Genesis 1 says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It doesn't say when he created them, how long ago he created them. Uh, but let's say we take that 4.5 billion years old. That means before that, <laughs> over 4.5 billion years ago, God saw down the lens of history and he saw you and he chose you to belong to him. That you would hear the good news about his son, that you would believe that you would be adopted, that you would be redeemed and forgiven, and you'd belong to him forever. When you really care about something, what do you do? You plan. <laughs> you, you, make, you make preparation for it. Uh, you know, hopefully when you propose to your spouse, if you're married here, you put a little bit of work into it, right? You had some plan. You weren't just sitting there in a whatever, a Burger King, and said, hey, by the way, would you like to get married? You know, hopefully you put a little work into it. There was a little effort that went into it and to that night, right? Because it matters. It's something extremely important. Same thing with a gift, you know, a Christmas gift that you, you really want it to be meaningful. You put the work into it. Or a wedding, right? We have some weddings, Lord willing, this summer here at the church. You, you put planning, you put effort into it because it's something very important, very meaningful. I read a great book about uh, astronauts. Uh, uh, and uh, one thing I learned about it, I didn't know this, you know, you, you watch movies with astronauts, it's very different than the movies, as it always tends to be. But every movement they make in space, everything they do up there is planned again and again, over and over a hundred times here on Earth in a pool. They don't do anything. They don't waste a second, a minute up there in space without actually planning out everything to a T. Over and over and over and over again because it's so expensive to get somebody insane. It's so dangerous to be in space. Friends, God has planned you belonging to Him. That's what He's trying to tell us here in chapter 1. Nothing should be more humbling. Nothing should lead you to greater gratitude. To draw your heart to praise and to worship. And to think, why me? Why did God choose me? Why, did, why do I belong to him? Why did he in his sovereign plan before the foundation of the world make me his? Why was I part of his perfect plan to, to the praise of his glory to belong to him forever? And we should, we should be praising God for the blessings of the gospel. Let's praise God for the blessings of the gospel. Why do we do that? Let's sing about them, right? That's what we just were doing. Let's continue to always sing the blessings of the gospel. You know, we can focus so much on the style of music all the discussions, right? All the disagreements on when, when it comes to music in, in different churches is what? It's all about the style. Style is so much secondary to the content. What are you singing about? Are you singing the praises of the gospel of what God has done? Are we praying the gospel? Uh, we pray, yes, we, we, are, we are called to, we're able to pray for health needs and all these other issues that are extremely important and God cares about them. But are we praying the joy of the gospel? Are we thanking God daily for what he has done? And redeeming us and forgiving us and calling us to himself. Are we talking about them? You know, we, we have, if you're sort of hanging out with some friends, some Christian friends, do you ever talk about the gospel? Something I like about it, we have a, a men's uh, a 
sort of group that we get together every once in a while. Last night was at the Madigan's house. You know, naturally, we just start talking about the gospel. It doesn't have to be forced. It's just something we care about, something we, that matters to us. So we, we talk about it. <laughs> Went on a nice long hike. Some of you guys are on Facebook. You saw the pictures with my son and uh, James Lorenzo. By the way, I, I had trouble keeping up with those two guys. I, man, man, those guys are in good shape. Wow. But uh, it, was a, it was a great hike. I, my legs are sore right now. My left knee hurts. My right hamstring hurts. My lower back hurts. I mean, it's, I'm tired. But in our hike... As we're talking, as we're walking, of course, we're going to start talking about the gospel and the car ride back and forth, the things that really matter, that come up in our conversations. And friends, it's, it's good news, as we've talked about. So let's let the world know. It needs to go beyond just Christians talking to Christians. Let's tell others about what God has done. It's too good to keep to yourself. I was doing a, I was asked to host an interview show for Common Ground Ministries, the history of Common Ground, just for our own local TV network. And it was interesting to hear how Common Ground started. It started off as a men's group, basically, for the, for the men, Christian men in Haverhill to get together. Um, and I think it started from the stand in the gap um, promise keeper thing. And they tried to get all the groups together. I know some of you guys have been part of this church for a long time. We were, used to send some guys to that men's group. But after a while, it began to switch and transition away from being a men's group for the churches in Haverhill to being an outreach to the city of Haverhill. And saying, how are we helping our city? Is this just us as Christians getting together? Or are we getting involved helping the poor and the hungry and the, the disenfranchised right here in our own city? I think that's an important direction, right? That's how the gospel works. It's, it's so good to us. We celebrate it. But it's too good to keep to yourself. It's something you've got to say. Now, what about those who haven't heard this message? Those who don't know Jesus, they've got to hear this as well. It's got to be shouted from the rooftops. Friends, the blessings of the gospel are so good. We should be grateful. We should rejoice in them. We should tell others. I just want to just, we'll just focus in on two of them from here. Uh, let's talk about redeemed. That word redeemed, redemption, comes from the slave world and the ancient world. A slave is one, of course, who belonged to another unless someone was willing to redeem the slave at a price. They would purchase him or her. And it's out of that world that God, that the Lord uses in the book of Ephesians here, a statement that we are redeemed by his blood. We were enslaved to our sin, enslaved spiritually, enslaved to the enemy, and the cost to buy us back, which is what the word redeemed means, was the blood of Christ, the death of God's own son. God saw the price, he knew the price, he paid the price because he wanted us back for himself. If he didn't redeem us, we would still be slaves to sin. But now in Christ we belong to him. A new master, but more than a new master, the second one we'll focus on, that we are adopted as his children. What an amazing thing that we are made his sons and his daughters. J.I. Packer says God could have redeemed us. He could have forgiven us of all our sins and not adopted us. Those two don't naturally necessarily go together. We could be saved for all eternity as creatures that God has redeemed. But he has gone beyond that and made us his sons and his daughters. You know, in the ancient Roman world, and actually similarly today, legally speaking, an adopted child must be seen as no different than another child, than a biological child. 
in terms of inheritance and all those things. There can't, be, there can't legally be a difference. And so when Paul here uses the word adoption, he understands that, that by God adopting us means he sees us like he sees his own son. Because we're clothed in him. That he loves us as his very own children. 11 to 14. Let's praise God for our spiritual inheritance in particular. So this is another blessing that flows out of the gospel. But I want, he puts a sort of sets this, this section aside. So I want to look more deeply at it. He says one blessing of the gospel for its own paragraph here. And that is that we are heirs or heiresses. That we have an inheritance coming to us as his people. There's an inheritance coming to us in the end. Uh, it, it's like being a, a trust fund kid, you know? Did, did you ever dream when you were young? I wish I was a trust fund kid, you know? I, I had a few million dollars coming to me in the end. But then you realize, if you love your father or grandfather, whoever it is that's giving it to you, they have to die in order for you to get it, which kind of puts a damper on the whole thing. Well, in this case, friends, we have a great inheritance coming us, to us, and, has, and the Father himself will enjoy it with us for all eternity. Actually, some translations in your Bible may say that we are his inheritance. Not that we have received an inheritance, but we are an inheritance. So the Greek does allow for that as well. Uh, it could be that not that we are heirs, but we are an inheritance itself. And actually, either way, it comes to the same idea that we have something coming to us in the end that is going to be glorious and wonderful and beyond anything, any other blessing that we get in this life and in this world. And how do we know it's coming? As he says, verse 13, he has sealed it with his Holy Spirit. God's very presence with us as his people. And actually, the wording used there as the, the guarantee in 14, the word there is, is a down, it's like a down payment. It's a piece of the whole, a piece of the inheritance that we receive now that sort of guarantees what is to come. And that's the idea of the Holy Spirit, that God has already sort of promised, he's promised us this huge inheritance coming in the end. And he says, you want me to prove it? I'll prove it. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit right here and right now to enjoy in this life, the very presence of God with us, a guarantee of what is to come. As we, even as we are confident, fully confident that we have the Holy Spirit, we enjoy relationship with God in this life so we can be confident that this guarantee is coming. It's like a down payment on a house, as uh, Brother Kevin Madigan would tell us, right? You, put, you give an earnest payment. It's, it's part of the, the greater payment. So God has said, here's, here's my earnest payment. Here's my down payment. And guess what? The rest is yet to come. Friends, when you think about it, this is the, the ultimate blessing of all. <laughs> An inheritance that lasts forever. The very presence of God forever. Not just in this life. In the very full presence of God. Jesus said, eternal life is this. To know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent forever. Friends, when you think about it, eternity is a long time. <laughs> it's a very, very long time. Infinite days with the Lord. Infinite. In fact, the word, the idea, the concept of infinite is confusing. I don't know if you know, they say there are actually no infinites, no actual infinites in our world. There's nothing in our world that is infinite uh, in number. Because it's just a theory. It, it can't exist in our, in our world. I mean, for example, uh, what is, you can say it in your head here, what is infinity plus infinity? 
It's infinity. And not too infinity, it's just, just infinity. What is infinity times infinity? Infinity. So how does that make that doesn't even make any sense? How can a number times itself still equal the same or a number times infinity times it still be infinity? What is infinity minus infinity? Well, that one's a little more tricky. It's undefined, depending on which infinity started first, basically. It's either infinity or it's undefined. So we don't even know what that one is. Infinity divided by infinity is undefined or one. So, I don't, you know, the square root of infinity, infinity, okay? That's, a, that's what infinity is. What's infinity times zero? We don't know, undefined, again, or, or zero. We're not sure exactly. Uh, infinity is just a concept that is beyond us. What would it mean to have an infinite amount of days and time with the Lord? It is truly beyond us. Only God is infinite. You know, in our songs, we usually use the term 10,000 years, because I guess that's the, about as big a number that our minds can get around, right? In Amazing Grace, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we'll have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. And the song, 10,000 Reasons, what is that line? 10,000 years and then forevermore. I guess 10,000 is, is, is as big as we can imagine this blessing. When you think about it, friends, 10,000 is a blip. It's, it's, a, it's not even a nanosecond when you think about the picture of eternity. In fact, 80 or to 100 years that we get in this life, it's not even a blip. It's just this tiny moment when we think of the fact that God is giving us an inheritance that lasts forever and ever. And it's not just about the quantity, it's about the quality of being in His presence. This is a blessing beyond what we can wrap our minds around. That's why the scriptures say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love Him. Some things that are just too big. We can't, we can't grasp them. We have to experience them when we get there. What is heaven like? I don't know. It's going to be amazing. It's, it's really a new heavens and a new earth. A resurrected body. We'll be living. We'll be learning. We'll be loving. But beyond that, again, the experience is something that we await. We can't fully grasp. We are heirs of an inheritance. Friends, the scriptures call us to get our focus on eternity. It's hard to focus on eternity. This world, it seems so important, doesn't it? Everything we do seems so important. It's so, it's so enticing. Everything around us seems so permanent when in reality it's not. We make so much of small things. You know, think, for example, uh, how important is an Aston Martin, really? That's my car right there. I want the James Bond car. If I, had, if I had the dream, I could have any car in this world that's an Aston Martin because I can put some sunglasses on and pretend I'm John, James Bond for a little while, I guess. That's the idea. How important is a log cabin in Maine? How important is your golf score? You want to know how important they are? Think of yourself in a hospital room dying of leukemia. How important are those things really? As we live on the precipice of eternity, live meaningfully, Enjoy this life, but keep your eyes on eternity. The blessings that come from the gospel, the ultimate blessing, is heirs and heiresses of God. God has blessed us immensely in Christ and is worthy of praise. He's blessed us with a local church. Be grateful for that. Thank Him for that. He's blessed us with the manifold blessings of the gospel again and again. Forgiving us, redeeming us, adopting us. And he's blessed us, especially with this gift of eternal life in him.
The book of Ephesus, uh, the church of Ephesus does come up in one other place in scripture. It comes up in the book of Revelation. It's one of the seven churches that, the, that Jesus addresses in the beginning. In Revelation 1, and, 1 through 3. It's the first one. It's seven. And his main message, you may remember, uh, his main message to the church in Ephesus is this. You're doing a great job. You're being faithful for the most part. But I have one thing against you. You've forsaken your first love. And if you continue to forsake your first love, I'll come and take your lampstand away. In other words, you'll cease to be a church. You'll cease to exist. What he's calling to do is to remember again the blessings of the gospel. The very thing Paul is calling us to do right here in chapter 1. Friends, let's make sure that we as a church and we as individuals stay in love with God. Continue to be smitten with Jesus. Be enraptured with the gospel. God has blessed us immensely in Christ. It's worthy of praise. Pray with me. Our gracious Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the reminder this morning of all the blessings of the gospel that you chose us in him. You've made us holy and blameless. You have forgiven us all our sins. You've adopted us as your children. And you've given us the gift of eternal life with you. So that this world and all of its goodness that you have granted it can't even compare to what is to come. Lord, I pray that we would never, as a church and as individuals, forsake our first love. That we would continue, Lord, to be in love with you, who has loved us first. Thank you, Father, for this morning. Thank you for our church family. Thank you for the volunteers who continue to serve, knowing that you see them, that you love them. That even as you have filled their heart to overflowing, so they then take that love that you have given them and seek to love and serve their church family and our city. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.